Good. Well, hey, if you are visiting with us today or if you are new among us, we want to especially welcome you here today and, and point out for you that following the service, you'll see people who are wearing lanyards and also people at the connection kiosks through those doors that we more than happy to answer any questions you may have or, or uh, point in the direction of something within the church facility here. Uh, when you came in, also hopefully received a bulletin, has some of the upcoming events in there. Just two I want to really quickly highlight for you. One is Christmas Eve service. That's on... 24th, yeah, same as last year. So every year it seems to come around the 24th. At 6 p.m. is the start time. So please consider who you could invite to come join you as we focus upon Christmas and bring Christmas into focus on that particular evening. It'll be a wonderful time of singing a lot of our favorite classic Christmas carols. We will also have a candlelight portion of the service and, uh, and a brief word from, uh, from myself that evening uh, to bring us into Reflections upon the Christmas season. Also want to let you know that we've had wonderful success for our Angel Tree program. Uh, and we had like 60 names to start off with. And we've gone through like all of those and we got some more names. So we actually have, I think it's eight left. So if you have not yet grabbed a little tag to buy a present for a parent who can't be with them this year to do incarceration, you want to help to, to spread the love of, of Christ in that fashion, please stop by the tree. It's just right through these doors. You'll see there's a table by a tree, and Shelly's going to be standing there, and she will get you connected. We would love to get rid of those eight more tags uh, today so that we have time to get that done before the Christmas day arrives. And then uh, lastly, we're coming towards the end of the year and uh, things start to slow down a bit. We're not around the church as much as we used to in the past. The church office will be closed uh, from basically Christmas Eve right through until like January 2nd. So keep that in mind that the office will be closed. If any emergencies come up, you can still call and there'll be a, a number there to get in contact with a pastor if need be. Uh, but the office itself will be closed. That's also relevant if you have any year-end gifts. Uh, you won't be able to physically bring those into the church office, but uh, online gifts can be received up until uh, midnight on the 31st. And then on the 29th will be our last Christmas or our last Sunday service of the Christmas season. So you can always join us on the 29th as well if you want to do that in person before the year end comes around. Well, today we continue our Tuned Into Christmas series where we are looking at some of the favorite Christmas carols uh, that we've known for, for many, many years and have come to love and, and wanting to get into a deeper understanding of the message and the meaning behind these songs. This week, we are going to speak about a song that is really frequently used during the Christmas season, during Christmas services, in particular Christmas Eve. The song that you know, Angels We Have Heard on High. This is a song that recalls the angelic announcement of Jesus' birth to lowly shepherds and focuses upon a chorus that, that is one of the things that makes it very famous. And quite honestly, it's kind of a love it or hate it type of chorus, that, that glory in excelsis Deo. And, and not everyone loves that part of the song because you got to hold the O in, in glory. And those of us who are wonderful singers, not this guy, uh, you know, love to hold the O. If we're not great singers, we're like, I'm going to check out that my part maybe a little bit. But we love the song that tells of this wonderful glory of God. Actually, that's what the words of glory in excelsis Deo mean, is glory to God in the highest as the angelic host announced the arrival of Christ to the shepherds. You know, there's this tradition, this legend that goes back to the time of France, when in the medieval times, shepherds would sit in the darkness of the hills looking after their sheep on Christmas Eve. And around, around midnight, one shepherd 
would, would stand up and he would declare from the darkness of his hilltop, glory and excelsis Deo. And then from across the field, another shepherd would stand and proclaim the same thing. And across the hills of the dark Christmas Eve sky, you would hear these heralds, these shepherds, proclaiming glory to God like the sound of angels through the fields as they announced the arrival of Christ, as they praised God and celebrated the birth of Christ. So I want to join you if you would stand and be heralds with us today as we sing this song.
Thank you. Feel free to be seated again. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning and also for that great rendition of that song. And as, as we're thinking about the words that we've just sung in that, I want to ask you a question as we start off today. What gives you a sense of awe? What gives you a sense of awe? You may have to go back to your brain a little bit to perhaps a time in the past, a, a, a memory from when you were younger, or maybe it was even just yesterday or this very morning. A moment that took place in your personal story that left you speechless. Can you think of one? Here's the thing that I know about whatever your story may be, whatever your memory may be, is that while it has an impact upon you because you've kind of filed it away as an awesome event in your life, it may not resonate with another person in the exact same way that it, it was so memorable for you. Uh, for example, there are people in this world who, who love the outdoors, and then there's people like me. Not as, not as much. I appreciate nature and whatnot, but the idea of going hiking into the mountains, for some people, it is the most glorious moment that they could have. As they go out into the world and, and they enjoy the, the sights and the smell of the fresh air of nature. As they walk up that trail for a couple of hours and then there's the clearing in the woods and they've summited this hill and you can see for miles. Some people will, will appreciate that, and other people, they will find that as an awesome moment. There are other people who perhaps enjoy the idea of going and visiting places around the world, and filed into their memories are, are moments like, like walking the streets of the holy city, the footsteps of Jesus in the holy city. People who get to go visit castles in Europe. People who get to go to Toronto and visit the Hockey Hall of Fame. That one stood out for me, in my mind, the greatest sport in the world. And this is kind of the, the place where it all has the memorabilia and the history. And then you walk into the trophy vault. Anyone ever been there before? You walk in, it's like an old bank with these big glass, stained glass uh, roof domes. And you walk in and there they are, these beautiful little statues of hockey and the Stanley Cup and all these awards and it's this awesome moment for a hockey fan or I should say it's an awesome moment for a true Canadian who who arrives there find yourself in the midst of that I suppose <laughs> here's something else I know about these awesome moments is that sometimes not everyone agrees on why a moment is awesome but everyone agrees that it is awesome an example of that a couple years back when uh, I was a pastor elsewhere, our, one of our youth pastors, the best stories begin with one of our youth pastors. That's, that's a common thing. One of our youth pastors decided that it would be awesome to have a jello night. So, and the kids, my son at the time, I could experience this through the eyes of my son who was attending, who thought it would be awesome to go to jello night as well, which involves making, well, a couple hundred liters of jello putting them into like kiddie swimming pools, wading pools, and tubs, and then playing games around them, over them, and of course, in them. Awesome event from the perspective of the youth pastor and from the perspective of the youth. One event, one angle on why it's awesome. I also had the experience of thinking it was awesome as a dad who had to pick up his son afterwards, and his son forgot to bring a towel and a change of clothes. So the drive home in my truck was, how you say, awesome, as he sat in the back in the bed of the truck on the way home. I also had the experience of this 
event from the angle of being an executive pastor had to debrief with the youth pastor on Monday morning as to what happened. And he said it was awesome. No one got hurt and we cleaned it all up. And as I probed a little deeper, what do you mean you cleaned it all up? You see, they were making this jello in these big tubs and placing the tubs on a table. And after they got through about 100 liters of jello, half set jello, on this table, the table collapsed. And jello went all down the hall, all over the carpet. Hence the statement, no one got hurt and we cleaned it all up. And I thought, awesome, awesome. That's just awesome. You know, there are times when I would teach classes in, in small groups, and you want to start off with an icebreaker. And I would ask a question about something that would maybe spawn an awesome moment. And, and it's a question that probably would take everybody here to a different place in time themselves. And here's the question for the icebreaker that I use sometimes. If you could go to any time and any place in history for one concert, what would you pick? And the, the answers were, were just all over the spectrum, based upon sort of age and demographic and background and music preferences. And there are some people who would say, oh, I'd love to go see the Beatles play Shea Stadium in 65. It was this moment in time. Others were like, oh, I'd love to go back to hear Beethoven in the, in the 1800s just, just play himself. I would love to hear uh, maybe some of the artists at Woodstock in 69 came up. Some of the younger generation would say, well, Nirvana in Seattle in 91. And, and everyone would go, yeah, yeah, those would be awesome. Those would be awesome. And then I would say, what? Nobody wants to go hear the angels sing to the shepherds on Christmas Eve? And, and everyone would groan, and they'd all agree that that was a bad pastor joke. Uh, but at the same time, that it would be an awesome moment, an awesome experience to have. You see, here's why that particular experience I think would be so awesome. It would be an absolute jaw-dropping experience. A true, you had to be there type of moment. You see, when we look through the history of time, when we look through what's written for us in Scripture, it is one of the only times that angels en masse chose to allow themselves to take on physical appearance and proclaim the glory of God to creation. We see that take place at the birth of Jesus Christ. We see it a second time at the second coming of Christ. You see, when Jesus appears and enters into time with humanity, the angels make themselves known and they celebrate en masse. There's no other times in recorded history where that takes place. Truly a you had to be there moment. But part of the reason I think this moment was also perhaps considered a jaw-dropping experience is because of the contrasting factors that take place in this story. See, remember, if you're with us last week, we talked about the song, Mary, Did You Know? And how the angel appeared to Mary and told her that the child that she was going to bear would be a king. And he would be a king of an everlasting kingdom. But this baby is born in the simplest of ways. In the most average of villages, Bethlehem, there's a huge contrast in that. And then within walking distance of this small, simple little town of Bethlehem, the angels, the most mysterious and exalted beings in all of creation, make the first glorious announcement to the most average of people, shepherds. They appear to shepherds who were out in the fields nearby watching over their flocks at night. See, these shepherds are, are simple guys. 
They are more at home amongst the smell of grass and wool than anything within the city itself. Not the most social guys in the world. They, they, they enjoy more of the quiet, calm, peaceful hillside with just a few close friends who also are caretakers of these sheep. But they all have important jobs. So they're not just looking after sheep. These sheep are most likely animals that were, were raised and kept for the purpose of temple sacrifice. See, they are caretakers over animals that would be used in the worship of God. These animals have value. They have value for the purpose of worship. They have value at the temple. They're also valuable as, as good food for predators who prowl through the hills. And, and the sheep are prone to wander, so they need shepherds to watch over them, to protect them. Simple average guys with a very important job. And so on this black starry night, the sky is illuminated with the appearance of an angel. In verse 9 in Luke chapter 2 tells us that this angel appears and says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God shone around them. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were terrified. Those who watch over people from heaven, these angels, reveal themselves to those who watch over sheep. And here we see it again. Did you notice that we see it again? The required biblical response to an angel appearing. Fear. Fear is the required biblical response. Every time an angel appears, fear, in this case, fear, where you probably go grab the next closest sheep and hide behind it kind of terrified type of fear that appears. But the angel responds with their standard biblically required greeting, do not be afraid. I, I'm not that kind of angel, right? But then the message continues, do not be afraid. For today in the town of David... For I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, that the angels declared the birth of the king as good news would actually not have been that startling to these particular shepherds. The manner of the proclamation, absolutely. The manner of an angelic pronouncement, absolutely. But the idea that this was good news was actually common in the world at this time. You see, any time a new ruler, a new king, a new emperor was born, this future ruler, they would send heralds throughout the land declaring good news, the new king has been born. So the idea that this was good news or, or, or the gospel, as, as we come to understand that word, would not have been surprising for them. The manner, yes. But also what would have really jumped out in particular of the words that the angels used were the fact that they said he is the Savior. He's the Savior. You see, they were waiting for a ruler to come who would free them from Roman occupation, a political leader, a military leader who would come and deliver them from Rome. But he is their Savior, which means he will deliver them from sin and death. He is the Messiah, or, or some versions say he is the Christ. You see, Christ isn't just Jesus' last name, first name, Jesus' last name, Christ. It is his designation where he is God's appointed one who will fulfill the long-awaited promises that God had made for generation after generation that would redeem all of humanity. And this baby being announced that had arrived he is Lord. So the word Lord up to this point had only been used to refer to God. 
And they're saying here, he is your Lord. And in that simple word, these angels are declaring that Jesus is both Christ. He is both your Messiah and your God. And as incredible as that declaration would have been to their ears, that God himself had been born as Messiah to redeem all people, suddenly the hills are filled with a great company of an angelic host that appear with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace and goodwill upon whom his favor rests. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. Heaven at this moment gives all glory to God and all praise for what has just taken place. And on earth, an opportunity to see this child as a sign of peace between people and God. Now this salvation that they're declaring that was now being made possible, this peace that could exist in the lives and in the hearts of all people that could now be made possible, it was not automatically granted though. You see in their words also they indicate that it is available to those upon whom God's favor rests. What does that mean? Well, it's not referring here to God having randomly selected and chosen a few people of whom his favor rests. What they're communicating more accurately is God's favor rests upon those who choose to have eyes to see. Those who choose to have ears to hear. Those who choose to have hearts that believe what God is doing through Jesus Christ. Those people who choose God are the ones upon whom his favor rests and enter into the salvation and peace with him. And as quickly as the angels appeared, they're gone. And I've always wondered what that particular moment was like. That moment was like when the angels appear and the night sky fills this awesome proclamation and then darkness, silence returns to the hilltops. When we read the passage in Scripture, the, the, the text advances the story very, very quickly. But, but I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced it was like an immediate jump up and rush off to Bethlehem. I, I have to imagine the shepherds kind of sat in the tension for a moment because I think all of us would as well at this awesome, jaw-dropping event that just took place. I can't help but wonder if you would just sit in that moment for a second, for a little while, with, with a whole lot of excitement and a whole lot of natural disbelief. Just sitting in the quiet, staring straight ahead. And then one shepherd has the courage finally to say, did you see that? Did you hear what I heard? Luke, where's Luke? Luke made the dinner tonight. Luke, did you put something in our stew? (laughs) Like disbelief at what is taking place until one goes, yeah, I heard it too. I saw it too. What, What does it mean? And in light of what does it mean, what do we do now that we have seen and we have heard this? And as those few moments pass, as they just process all that has taken place, we're told in verse 15 that when the angels had left them, had gone back up into heaven, the shepherds said to one another then, in light of all that we've heard, in light of all that we've seen in these past moments, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. But don't miss the critical moment that takes place here. See, this is a very critical, important decision that these shepherds make in their minds, in their lives. 
You see, what we also find here is a pattern that is common for how God works and reveals himself into people's lives then and still to this very day. And the pattern has four steps to it. First of all, there's a revelation where a word or, or an act, an event takes place in your life and you have yourself in this moment of decision, what did I see, what did I hear, was that of God? Which leads to the second step, which is the human response that we have. And if you think back to a time when you think maybe God was speaking to me, maybe God was revealing something to me in that moment, you can go immediately to remember your next natural step in the process, which was the human response. And the human response goes a different direction for different situations, different people. Sometimes people default automatically to doubt. No, no, no. It wasn't God. It was indigestion. Some people go to a process of evaluation well, let's, let's get out the pros and the cons, and we'll just sort of evaluate this thing. Some people go to a moment of contemplation. Some people's response goes to accepting and then leading to rejoicing, which then goes to the third step, a moment of choice. In light of God's revelation, in light of the human response we have to that revelation, the third step of this is then what are we going to do about it? Am I going to file that away as an interesting event that took place in my life at some point, but actually do nothing with it or about it, just file it away? Some people may choose to take a revelation from God that they're pretty sure God was saying or doing something, and they'll just discard it. No, if I believe that, if I accept that, it's going to change my world, and I'm not open to having my world change right now, so I'm going to discard it. Or there's a third option, which the shepherds take which they step out in a step of faith and go, let's go see what God is doing. Revelation, response, action. And just as with the shepherds, if we choose to take that step to go see what God is doing, we come to the fourth part, which is the verifying sign. The verifying sign that confirms if and how God is working and present in this particular moment. And when you take that step of faith and you find God in the midst of it, it changes you. That's the process the shepherds went through here. And we see in verse 16, they took the step of faith and it changed them. Because we're told that so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. All who heard it were in awe at this awesome event that the shepherds told them about. And they, their shepherds, returned glorifying and praising God. For all the things that they had heard and all the things that they had seen, which is just as they had been told. Everything was just as they had heard and just as they had seen. Everything was just as the angel had told them. And because they went through this process of revelation, response, action, confirmation, their lives were never the same. Their world was never the same. Our lives in our world is never the same when we step out and find what God is doing in our lives in the midst around us. Imagine being there. Imagine being there to hear and see the angels make this proclamation. Imagine being able to peer into the manger and see the Christ child and find that it is just as the scriptures had told us. What an awesome event that would be. But one thing I hear from people these days is, why doesn't God still reveal himself today? Why, why doesn't God do things like that still today? And, and often when I, when I press into that question a little bit, I find that it comes from a commonplace. 
It comes from a place where a person is wrestling with something. Or perhaps they're, they're questioning whether or not they can accept and trust God and his promises that he's made for them. But in my mind, as I'm processing this question with them, I, I do sit back and sometimes I go, you know, it does seem like there are fewer experiences of awe that we have in our world these days. But is that a question of whether or not God is at work, or is it a matter of our perception of God's work? See, personally, I think part of it personally is, is the world and the culture of the day in which we live. And, and, and I remember, even myself, going back a few decades, I remember being in awe when I had a friend that had more than two TV channels, right? Like, we had two channels, and one of them was French, so that doesn't even really necessarily count. But I go to a friend's house, you got 13 channels? We were in awe at that. I remember the first time we used an air pop, popcorn maker. Awesome. I mean, you don't have to burn half of it on the bottom of the pan on the stove anymore. I remember the first time that I experienced 8-bit video game graphics. Original Donkey Kong. In awe over that. Or when we got our... Radio Shack TRS-80 computer, the massive 16K memory that it had. It was awesome what you could do with that thing. That was the world in which we lived, and, and, and things were pretty amazing at that point. But today, knowledge has increased so much. You can learn anything in literally seconds by Googling it on the Internet. You can have your answer. You can go anywhere through Google Maps. You can... You can have a 3D tour of the world's finest museums. You can, on your computer screen, from your sofa, you can walk the streets of any city. If you want to buy something, you just go to Amazon, you order it today, it arrives tomorrow. Not fast enough for you, or they're working on buying drones that will deliver it to you the same day you order it. See, this world we live in, I love all these things, these advancements that we have in today's world. But this on-demand world, I think, makes it harder for us to be impressed. It makes it harder for us to have these awesome moments because everything is supposed to be awesome. Just like the Lego movie says. Everything is awesome. But unfortunately, I think this also contributes to us not having as many awesome moments, awe-inspiring moments with God as well. But this isn't new. You know, this actually isn't new. Um, Isaiah talked to the nation of Israel about this, warned them. And then Jesus reiterated Isaiah's concern to, about the world around him in the day. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 13. He said, you'll be ever hearing and never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving for this people's hearts have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. But blessed are your eyes because you see. And blessed are your ears because you hear. See, I don't think the problem is whether or not God is working anymore. I, I think one of the problems is that sometimes in the world in which we live, and particularly in the Western world when it comes to our Christian faith, it becomes very, very comfortable, very safe, very, very routine and very ordinary. And when we allow that to take place, we can cease to have eyes and ears and hearts that perceive what God is doing in our presence around us. I recently heard the story of a, of a pastor in China who was leading an underground church. And the church was flourishing, even, even in the midst of persecution and being underground and hidden, it was starting to flourish a little bit. Well, it reached a point where some of the religious freedoms increased and they were allowed to finally be a little more public about what they were doing. So they decided that they were going to hold services just like, their, just like their fellow believers in North America. 
So they start holding worship services in Shanghai. And the church booms up to about 2,000 instantly. Well, after a little bit of time, the government cracks down, shuts them down, arrests their leaders, and the church goes back underground. And that pastor who led the church through the underground to the swell of freedom and back underground, the pastor who led them through that gave a testimony and says, you know what, the persecution of our church was the best thing that ever happened to us. It was the best thing that ever took place because when we started going public and holding services, people stopped serving. They stopped growing personally in their faiths. All they wanted to do was show up on Sunday morning and listen to a sermon and then go home. He said, we lost our DNA, what made our church so powerful when we were underground. And what made the church powerful, he says, we had a DNA based upon five things. And the five things were that everyone was devoted to the word of God. Everyone read, studied, and knew the word of God. Everyone was devoted to prayer. They were constantly praying out of necessity. They had this personal dependent relationship upon their heavenly father they prayed through. The third thing was they embraced suffering for the glory of God. That when they were persecuted, when things got difficult, when culture pushed in, they endured it for the glory of God because they believed unwavering that Jesus was enough. Number four, they expected everyone to be sharing the gospel. It wasn't just for the pastors to do. It wasn't just for the leaders, for those who had been in the church for a generation or more. They expected everyone to be sharing the good news through word and deed in their lives. And because they were committed to the word of God, they were devoted to prayer, they were embracing suffering for the sake of Christ. They were sharing the gospel, the fifth one. The fifth part of their DNA is they expected regular miracles to take place. And they were. They regularly saw the awesomeness of God displayed in the midst of each of their lives. And they can all recall stories when they had eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that were fully devoted and believed in the movement of God in their midst. See, it's not a matter of whether or not God is still at work or if God is still moving in this day. I think it's more a question of do we still have eyes to perceive it? Do we still have ears to hear it? Do our hearts believe that he is moving and powerful in our midst during this season? So church, do you believe that God is still moving? Do you believe that God is still working in the round world around us? And this will be our audience participation part. Church, do you believe that God still moves today? Yes. He does still move today. He does still go and is still at work in this day. It wasn't just in the time of shepherds. It still happens today. We find ourselves in a moment of decision when we come across these stories, when we come across these events in our own lives, will we perceive them with hearts that believe that God is still moving? Do you have a story? Do you have a story of God's movement, of God's presence in your life, maybe from this past week or from a decade ago? Do you have a story of when God moved in your life and you saw and you heard and experienced that taking place? Do you have a story for that? Because I hope you do. We're going to do a little something different today. I'm actually going to step out of our comfort zone and break the mold, and we're going to have a bit of a roving microphone. Because I want to hear your stories. I want us to be like shepherds who went from receiving stories to going to the world being heralds, proclaimers of stories. So that we can see in each other's lives, each other's experiences, how God is moving. 
of how God is so good and gracious to us in the midst of things happening in our lives. So if you have a story, while I've been speaking, while we were singing, any of these songs, if a story comes to mind that you would want to share with the world of God's presence in your lives, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And keep in mind, as we are hearers of these stories, keep in mind that not all of them are going to resonate with us the way they do with the person sharing the story. And that's okay because God works beautifully and uniquely in the lives of all people. But the fact that that story stood out in that person's mind means he knew them and he reached them in a way they needed to be reached. And after we hear each story, I hope we can all in unison say glory to God in the highest after each story. So let's take a couple of minutes and let's hear some stories. Would anybody like to be bold enough to not leave me hanging <laughs> and to go and to share a story first? I'm just going to step down and grab a microphone from the front here. I see Gladys is here. Thank you, Gladys. If you can share it briefly with us, dear, and then. I have many stories. First of all, I was going to Saskatoon, and um, I talk to the Lord when I'm driving and I said what is it like to go from this earth to heaven and he showed me immediately I actually was outside the windshield of my car looking in at myself driving and it was an awesome moment and the big thing was when I had stage 4 cancer after the second surgery in a week I was so weak I couldn't open my eyes or lift a finger and the Bible stories came in my mind. The woman with the issue of blood, she touched God's hem of his robe and she was healed. And in my heart and spirit, I saw my right arm raise. I too am coming for healing, Lord. And in two weeks, I walked out of the hospital, no any chemo, not any radiation, and it's seven years ago. And there's many more that I would like to share. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, let's all say, glory to God in the highest. Amen. Who's, uh, anybody else? Sorry. Oh. Uh, I've had many um, wonderful experiences in my life, but I've had two outstanding ones. One was <clears throat> I was very sick one time and in the hospital, and my doctor was sitting on the side of my bed, and he had to have me give permission for an operation. So I guess I signed this, but anyway, I uh, was by myself, and I called on God, and I said, God, if you were alive and if you were true God, you would save my life, I will live for you. Well, as you can tell, I was here, I'm here. And, but months went by and I didn't live for God. But one day God saw me and he took over in my car when I was in the car. And a bright light came on and he said to me, Jerry, he said, I've come for your promise to either live for me or to take your life. And that time is when he introduced me to Jesus Christ. And for me, this has been a wonderful life. I've been through many things and saw so many miracles from God, operations with no pain, 
things that have happened. I've been blessed richly with a wonderful family. And I just thank God for his salvation. And I say to anyone here that if you do not know this God, I would say do it today and don't wait. Amen. Thank you. And in unison, glory to God in the highest. Amen. Yes. Hi, I'm Nancy, and uh, 25 years ago in November, I lost a very healthy nine-year-old boy. His name is Christopher, and he was a blessing, and I was picked to be his mother for nine and a half years. And it was an unknown virus that attacked his liver, and in 10 days he was dead. God was there with him. He was there in the hospital. He died so peacefully, even though all the doctors said that his body was going to blow up like a balloon. And, you know, he'd be on dialysis and his hair would turn pink and all these things. And, you know, God took him gently. And one of the things that I realized through this, because as a parent, you never want to lose your child and you always want to do something to save them. And we offered to give a piece of our live liver to the doctors and to try and do a surgery that they weren't doing at that time. And they said we couldn't because we'd lose both of you. So I realized that I'm not in control. And I prayed to God, and I said, God, your will be done. And I gave that up to God. And you know what? He took peace, Chris, in such peace. And he lifted us up as a family and walked with us and carried us. And I think when people go through these things in their life, they have to realize that God is there for them. I can't imagine going through this stuff in your life without having him in your life. I am so blessed to have been Christopher's parent for that nine and a half years. And it's also given me lots of opportunities when people ask me, how many children do you have, Nancy? I may always say two, and I tell Christopher's story. And Christopher was saved before he died. And I'm able to tell that that's not the end, that I'm gonna see him again. And I'm so thankful and I feel very blessed that I was chosen to be his mom. Thank you for sharing that story. In unison, glory to God in the highest. Ruthie, dear. So uh, my name is Ruthie, and I would be amiss if I didn't stop and give God a glory and honor to God for what he did first turn. So a year, just over a year ago, he had was diagnosed with two primary tumors, and the doctor who did the scope said there's no hope. No one will do anything for him. But God, I love that. But God caused a family doctor to change her mind about what to do. Got a surgeon, got him through surgery, and got him has recovered, and he's strong. And for those of you who don't know, he's going to be 90 on January 1st, and he does so well, and I praise God. Thank you, absolutely. We're so thankful for that story and for that. And, and all together, glory to God in the highest. Yes. Any others? run fast over there if I have to. Yeah. Any hands up? Yes, let's do one more and then we'll uh, go to a time of prayer and uh, our final song. Just want to say that uh, my husband Harry passed away when he was younger. I was a young widow. I was extremely afraid, afraid to be alone afraid to be in my house, afraid that somebody would break into my house and 
kill me at night or whatever. I had all these, these weird feelings in my head. I stayed with family uh, for two months because it was like now, but a severe, severe winter. And uh, two months I went home and I still remember standing in front of the, the mirror, the bedroom mirror. And I said, Lord, I cannot do this alone. Please be with me. He was there with me immediately. And I felt his presence for many, many years. I was so, so overjoyed to know that his presence was there, that he was watching over me. And no, I was never afraid that anybody, anyone was ever going to break into my door again. I was at peace. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I go on. There we go. That sounds better. And uh, thank you for sharing those stories and many others. And, and a final, in unison, glory to God in the highest. Well, as the worship team comes back on the platform, let's take a moment of prayer before we go to our final song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us in such a beautiful and unique way. That you know how to speak into our lives. You know how to enter into the moments of, of pain that we have at times and struggles. You know how to, how to get our attention in the moments of celebration to say, hey, glory to God in the highest for what's happened in our lives during these good times. God, I pray that each of us here would, would examine within ourselves those different stories that help us understand how you have reached us and how you care for us in such beautiful, unique ways. May we have eyes to see that. May we have ears to hear what's happening in the world around us and see that you are still moving and working in incredible ways and we can be in awe this very day, this very Christmas as you so richly blessed us and still are moving to reconcile the world unto yourself, that we could declare that he is Jesus Christ, that this baby is the Messiah, that he is Lord of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name.